Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media or to tune into our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Now here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 8, would you please? And we're going to pick up where we left off last time in verse 26. And I've entitled our Bible study, Helping Others to See Jesus. It's one of the things that we learn studying the life of Philip here is the need to help others see Jesus. And Philip is on his way from Samaria to Gaza. You'll remember that the early church was given a mandate to be faithful in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. They were faithful in Jerusalem until persecution arose after the stoning of Stephen. Saul came personally against the church and scattered them. And everywhere they were scattered, they were preaching the gospel. And one of the places they were scattered was Philip going to Samaria. When he got there, he preached the gospel and a revival broke out and lives were changed and families were rescued. And it was an amazing time. But it was in the middle of that revival that an angelic messenger was sent to him. Notice in verse 26, now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, arise and go. And if you haven't already, mark those words, arise and go. It was in the middle of something great that God gave direction. He said, go toward south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he arose and went. And there's just no other viable, acceptable response to the command to arise and go than he arose and went. And we learned that that phrase represents immediate obedience. Immediate obedience is the only acceptable response to the direction of God. You do not want to delay your obedience because in that delay, you can talk yourself out of the will of God. You can talk yourself out of steps of faith. You can talk yourself out of the dynamic life of living by faith because all your questions aren't answered or all your concerns aren't met. And so when God speaks, we want to respond immediately and, and by faith, allow him to deal with all of our concerns. So for Philip, he arose and went, and notice, and behold. Now I want to pause there for a second, because on the other side of obedience is the revelation of God's will. Like, until you obey God, you're not going to find out what he has for you. You just won't. On the other side, on the other side of obedience was this revelation of God. And so many, I find, are waiting for God to reveal it all to you, but you won't obey. You won't step out. But on the other side of obedience is revelation. Notice, behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship. He was returning, sitting in his chariot, verse 28, reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. 
And the place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And like a lamb silent before its shearer, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. What an exciting time in the life of Philip. He received the visit from the angel. He got the direction. He responded to it. And there in the middle of nowhere was a man that needed clarification of what he was reading in the Bible. Imagine that. God setting it all up. But he would have never experienced it. Philip would have never experienced it unless he was faithful in his obedience. So first of all, number one, who is this eunuch? Who is this eunuch? Well, he's like many in our lives today. History tells us, first of all, Ethiopia was a large kingdom in the south of Egypt. And they believed that they were the incarnation of the sun gods. And again, we're reminded what we believe dictates how we behave. So important. Because even these in Ethiopia, believing they were the incarnation of the sun gods, that they were little gods, it affected their behavior. And their belief made them believe and behave that regular governmental work was beneath the men. So women were enlisted to serve in most positions in the government. And because of that, when a man was in a high-level place in governmental service like this eunuch here, they were emasculated so that they would not be tempted to take advantage of the women that are all around them. And they also would not be a threat to those in leadership. This man was a very important high-up government official that was given great responsibility. You could say that this man was very wealthy, and influential. Or what we might say today is, he had everything you would want. He had everything a person would strive for. And yet, he was still empty. The world in which he lived in, the country in which he lived in, all the false pagan beliefs was not enough for him. And so many people believe this eunuch was probably a convert to Judaism. And we learn that because he went to Jerusalem for what? To worship. He went to Jerusalem to worship the one true God. And he was met on his way home by this man by the name of Philip, which to me is a divine appointment. And I notice here when the direction would came, first the angelic vision came or the angelic visitation came. Then the very next thing he receives is the visual understanding that there was someone out in the middle of the desert. Now he kind of gets an idea that maybe he sees the reason why he was called. It was unveiled little by little. And then the spirit of God, then God spoke directly to him. And I want you to go near. Now notice the response in verse 30. Philip ran to him. Now, I don't want you to think of Philip running to him because the chariot was going like 80 miles an hour. It wasn't. Many believe that these entourages would go at the pace of walking. And the only advantage this guy had is he didn't have to walk. He was pulled by in the chariot with wheels under him. So this moving chariot on the way back is going at a slow pace. And yes, I think that he was running to, to shorten the distance in catching up with him. But also I think there was something in there that he wasn't just running to catch up to the traveler. He was also running, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to arrive at just the right time. 
And God has a perfect timing for everything. And when he impresses upon you something to do or somewhere to go, for goodness sake, obey him. Because he has set something up on the other side. And I know you don't understand why. And I know you don't know what's going to happen. And I know you might be a little fearful and a little anxious and on and on the list goes. But the only valid response to the direction of God is obedience. So here this eunuch is leaving Jerusalem and he's reading a scroll of Isaiah. It's probably not the full scroll scroll because scrolls were very rare and very expensive. That's why we believe he's, he's wealthy in the position. We know he's wealthy from his position, but also he was able to get his hands on a portion of the scroll of Isaiah, which also happens to be a very interesting place that speaks very directly of Messiah. And he's reading it at just the right time. So at this point in our Bible study, I want you to pause for a second with me and let's use our holy imagination. I'm gonna help you with this, but I wanna use our holy imagination for a moment to consider how this eunuch might be feeling on his way home from Jerusalem. Now, heading to Jerusalem is desirous to worship the one true God. Jerusalem is the holy city. Jerusalem has the temple of God, where on the day of atonement, the priest would come in and offer that offering of blood on the mercy seat, where the presence of God, the Shekinah glory would come down. It represents the very presence of God in Jerusalem. He's coming, but he's not met with the kind of environment of worship that you would expect. First of all, what was he met with? Well, in Deuteronomy chapter 23 and verse 1, we learn that a eunuch was not allowed full access to the temple. So he couldn't actually get in to where he wanted to get in. Strike number one. Not only was he a eunuch, but he was a Gentile. That's strike number two. Because as a Gentile, he was also limited on how far he could get. Now, not only was he limited, but he was also faced with, face to face, you know, you know how you, you have these high hopes where you want to go somewhere and you have all these great expectations and you can't wait to get there. And then when you finally arrive, you're discouraged and bummed out because it's not what you thought it would be. Well, that's what he's feeling. Think of that, not only on a vacation or something, but I want you to think of that spiritually. The, 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 the greatest emotion I think he would be feeling on his way back is disillusionment. Do you know you're surrounded by a lot of people that are disillusioned with the church? Disillusioned with God? Because we as believers have misrepresented God to them? They, they might even come into a place like this with high hopes and unfortunately be met with coldness or religiosity, or you know, being ignored, or you're just all into yourself, and so you're not recognizing that God put somebody new next to you, or like whatever it might be, and they get disillusioned. Or you ignore someone on the streets, or somebody's new in your office, and you don't pay any attention to them, or you have brand new neighbors in town, and you never even met them and talked to them. Like you can think of how many times a believer has misrepresented God, and people are disillusioned and bummed out. Not only that, I mean, you could say for this guy, it's strike one, two, three, four, five. I mean, he's really beat up on his way home. He's really beat up because his trip to Jerusalem took him into the middle of cold rituals, cold religion. He was surrounded by materialism, hypocrisy, intolerance, 
empty ceremonies of Judaism. I mean, if you really want to know what he faced, he faced exactly what Jesus condemned throughout his ministry. He, he faced all of the, the, the whitewashed tombs and, and all of the things that, that the religious leaders continue after they kill Jesus and murder him. They continue to misrepresent God. So he's on his way home, no doubt discouraged and empty and still spiritually barren, deeply wanting to experience God personally and powerfully. And now all that he thought would happen didn't happen and he's leaving more empty than when he came, except that he, did, he was very wise here, even as an unbeliever, even as someone close but not quite, close but not quite. There's a lot of those surrounding us as well. It's why his life represents so many around us. But, but he does what's right, and a lot of people do the same thing. He goes and starts to read the Bible. Of all the things to read, they've tried all the self-help programs, all the television. It's like, no, I, I got this Bible my grandma gave me, I'm going to start to read it. For the eunuch, I've got the scrolls that I purchased and I'm going to read it. Which adds to another thing that we can think of what he's going through. He's confused. He's reading the Bible, doesn't understand it. Who's he talking about? What's this all about? This is a fascinating passage. And you know, for everyone separated from God, you can read the Bible all you want. You'll never fully understand it. Because only those that are in relationship with God can understand the Bible. Only those that have a relationship within the family of God really understand fully what the Bible says. And so he's got all this going on, and then at just the right time, this man Philip shows up in the middle of the desert. Now, personally, I am not a fan of the desert. You know, heat, and I know it's dry heat. Don't tell me, don't email me, I get it. But heat and sand and you know, ugly bushes and cacti everywhere. That, that's not my deal. Not a big fan of it. And you know, we often use the desert as an illustration of dryness and even death, you know, and destruction. But you know, those that study these things know that in the desert, it, it, it might look like it's dead, but it's very much alive. And I think the desert here in Gaza on the road to Gaza, even though it looks dry and barren and not alive, God is at work. And even you today might be in some kind of desert experience, a dryness and a barrenness. The Lord has given me the privilege to remind you today that he's very much alive and he's very much at work in your life, setting things up so that at just the right time, at just the right section, it has provoked this eunuch to ask a question. And so he sees Philip, invites him up, and then Philip is there. Do you understand what you're reading? And he's drawing out from him. And then he says, how can I? Unless someone guides me. And the guide has just shown up. And so notice in verse 34, the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say of this, himself or some other man? And then focus on verse 35 with me. Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. And that is the great need of the day. I believe as, as followers of Christ, we need to give good godly answers to the questions people are asking in our lives. And I know sometimes people ask questions that are wanting to pick a fight. 
And I know sometimes people ask questions that seem silly, or, but, but it's not silly to the person. And even if they're picking a fight, it's not our business. We should answer the questions. Just answer the questions. Remind people that God is a reasonable God. He is a faithful God. And their questions, you know, when you ask someone's question and you don't make fun of them, and, and you don't make a big, when you ask someone's questions, you validate their humanity. Even if they're trying to pick a fight. You don't need to jump into the mud and wrestle with them in the mud and, you know, just, I'm going to defend God. How do you, dare you ask that question? Just answer their question. Validate their humanity and answer their question and use it as an opportunity to lead them to Jesus. Because I'll tell you what, if you argue with them or make fun of them, you're not headed in the way of Jesus. They're not going to go with you. You have to earn some kind of credibility and trust with them to answer the question. Whether it's sincere or not, whether it's genuine or not, that's not our business. We don't know what they're dealing with. We don't know, like, like a real popular question today. It is a real popular question. It might even be on your mind. And I've answered this in depth in other places and even devoted whole Bible studies to this question. But the question is, how could a God of love let so much evil happen? Some variation of that, so much pain happen. It's a very valid question. It's a very important question. But if you're not careful, you might take it as some threat. Like, how could your God let so... And then you've got to defend God. But why don't you take into account perhaps why they're asking the question? And just consider that they might be asking the question because of the hurt in their life. Because they're walking around with trauma or they're walking around with a loss at a young age. Or they're like, like maybe, maybe, just maybe, we don't have to think for them we can just preach Jesus. You know, can you imagine Philip? He's nowhere near that. But could you imagine Philip and go, you know, you bought this scroll and you're reading it and you don't understand it? What's your problem? What do you mean you don't understand it? I, God just sent me all the way from Samaria and he sent me to someone that doesn't understand the Bible. What's your problem? But that's not what he does. He draws out for him and embraces the moment to bring a solid answer. And he preaches Jesus. He doesn't preach his philosophy he doesn't preach his opinion. He doesn't preach some rabbi's teaching. You know, today the church loves to quote other people and systems of theology. And, and you know, sometimes there are people that quote men more than they quote God. That's not, that's not Philip here. He's doing exactly what he needs to be doing. Giving, the, giving this eunuch the whole point of the Bible, let alone the couple verses that speak directly of Jesus. Jesus is the point of the entire Bible. And I love this because I'm reminded that so many times God will already set up the situations for us. All we need to do is walk into them. Just be faithful. I know it's scary and I know it's awkward, but this is something you're going to learn over the years. Things are only scary and awkward until they're not anymore. It starts out that way for sure, but once you step into things, you get over it. And you're like, man, this is pretty exciting. This is really neat. God would send me to someone. God would send someone to me. And yeah, you might not know all the answers. I mean, you think of, okay, Ed, I mean, I'll, I'll try to my best to have all these answers, but what happens when I don't have the answer? Well, sometimes the answer to someone's question is something like this. You know, that's a really, really good question. I've never heard that before. So I'll tell you what, I don't know the answer to that. So give me a week and I'll look it up and I'll ask some friends and I'll get you an answer. And you would be surprised how validating that is, how, how powerful that is. 
that, I mean, there are times where people ask me questions. I'm like, man, I've never heard that before. I have never thought about that or I've never seen it from that angle. And it requires me to do a little extra research to find, hmm, I'm seeing something real differently through your eyes now. And that's a really good question that drives me to study. Philip is leading this man to Jesus because God set it up. And the question is this, have you ever led someone to Jesus? Have you ever helped them see him for who he really is? Both in word, you know, through your words, but also through your actions and very clearly giving them the gospel. God has given to us great open doors and wonderful opportunities. And the church needs to step into them. And that's really where God is moving on our hearts to take advantage of the opportunities. Philip, this regular man, not a Bible student, he doesn't have a bunch of doctorates on his wall or master's degrees or theological degrees. I mean, this is the infancy of the church. You could say he's still a baby. He didn't, there's no seminary to go to, no Bible college to go to. Because of limitations, they did what we all need to be doing, reading the Bible every day. Well, really, we, we already know what happens. They continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, the breaking of bread, and in prayer. That's what the early church did. And this is what happens when you do those four simple things. God uses you in great ways, in amazing ways, in dynamic ways for the sake of others' lives. You know why? Because God loves the Samaritans. He sent Philip there. God loves this eunuch. He sent Philip there. And the people in your life, God loves too. And he sends them to you and sends you to them. And Philip doesn't preach anything other than Jesus. He doesn't preach his church. He doesn't preach water baptism, even though it's involved. His own philosophy he doesn't say, these, okay, you big, um, most noble eunuch, are 10 ways that you can have a happy life following God. He just starts telling him about the love of God, pointing him to Messiah. Do you know that Jesus Christ is the central theme of the Bible? And I've asked this many times. I'm going to continue to ask you to prayerfully consider rearranging your life so you can join us on our midweek Bible study on Wednesdays. I know it might be less sleep. It might make the kids, uh, you know, kids be a little bit more difficult on Thursday morning. But it's important for you to add to your life where possible. Like even just a little step to say, I'm going to be in the fellowship. I'm going to be with other believers one more time during the week, especially in my own church. And we're in Genesis right now, studying through on Wednesdays. And when we open Genesis and open the Bible to the very first chapter, we learned the whole focus of the Bible is Messiah from the very beginning. Messiah, another word for Savior. That Savior has a name. His name is Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, coming in response to love. You know the scripture. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. The whole Bible points to Jesus. Let me give you a couple of scriptures. You can jot them down. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse seven, it says, then I said, behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me. The volume of the book is written of me to point to Jesus. It's written of me. Another one, John 5, 39. 
He's rebuking the religious rulers of the day. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, but these are which testify of me. I mean, he's a warning you today, not just them then, but you today. You can be a Bible student, you can read your Bible frontwards and backwards and upside down, but you can also read the Bible and completely miss the point. And the point is Jesus. Don't just be a student of the Bible. Be a follower of Jesus. Let me show you another one. You can turn there. You can just go back a few pages. Luke chapter 24. This is from Jesus himself as he met those two men on the road to Emmaus. Remember? This is what he did. Luke 24 in verse 27. It says, Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Basically, Jesus goes back to Genesis and gives these guys a summary of the Bible over and over. Here I am, here I am, here I am. And no doubt by the time he gets to Isaiah 53, like the eunuch is, and there I am too. The sheep that was led to the slaughter opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was taken away. And here's Philip to declare his generation. And we find in verse 36, as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is a son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came finally to Caesarea. So eunuch got saved. And in this section, we have a couple of insights and reasons for our beliefs related to water baptism. I won't develop the theology of water baptism today. I've done that in other studies as well. But there's two very important things we learn about water baptism here that we can't just pass over. Number one, we believe in what's known as believer's water baptism. We believe that only believers are water baptized. We do not believe, as some would assert falsely, that baptism saves anybody. Baptism doesn't save anyone. This is the open door here for that doctrine to be taught. Eunuch says, hey, what's preventing me from being water baptized? And Philip basically says, you're not saved. That's what prevents you. You don't believe. So in order to be water baptism, water baptized, you need to be saved. And then secondly, I want you to notice, we also believe in full immersion. That a believer is taken down under the water and then brought back up out of the water because water baptism for a believer is a picture of the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean, we believe in full immersion so much that if all we had was two inches of water, we would lay you on your back and roll you over till you're all wet. Because it's the identification with Jesus that, that, that he doesn't, you know, Philip doesn't go down and get his hands wet and sprinkle it on him. 
He doesn't get a cup of water and pour it over his head. Stop the chariot. There's water. Let's get down in it. Let's take you under it and take you out from it. And that is seen just in a couple verses here in the life of the early church. And here the eunuch's appointment with God is complete. He is saved. It's amazing to me the faithfulness of God in our lives. And as we wind down today, I want, as we prepare for what God has for us, individually, but also as a church, I, I just hope you don't get tired of seeing people get saved and being a part of a church that's filled with the messiness of new believers and the messiness of people checking things out. I guess you could say that the eunuch was a seeker of God. Now, the church loves to argue about things secondarily that bums me out. In my world as a pastor, there's this phraseology of seeker-sensitive churches and nobody seeks after God. And, and people love to argue about this, but the eunuch is clearly seeking God here. And many, many people are seeking God around us. I don't think we need to create all kinds of Christian arguments to try to dismiss them. There are people seeking God. And don't use the Bible to try to explain that away. I'll show you a scripture from the life just here in the book of Acts that we'll get to soon enough. But would you turn over to Acts chapter 17? Of course people are seeking God. In one sense, it's true that people can't be saved. They can't seek God without being drawn by God. That's true. But of course, your life is surrounded with people that have an emptiness in their life, like this eunuch, that have a religion about them, like this eunuch that have a desire to worship in some way, even though they don't understand, like this eunuch. Of course people are seeking God. So don't let anyone talk you out of that and try to make some big deal about it. Go to Acts chapter 17 and listen to part of this Bible study that Paul was teaching there on Mars Hill. He, he says that God is not worship, verse 25. He's not worship with men's hands as though he needed anything since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. Then he says in verse 26 that God has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth. He's determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. Notice verse 27. You should mark this if you don't believe people seek God. So that they should seek the Lord. God has set it up so that everyone has a chance to believe in the Savior. And he's created the whole thing. Even the person in the middle of the jungle somewhere is not going to be, not going to have an excuse before God that they did not see his creation and did not re realize the internal witness of their conscience that they refused to respond to, that God was leading them to himself. So of course people seek after God. I believe there are men and women all around us just like this eunuch, burned out, beat up, but still seeking the Lord. They're reading the Bible, but not understanding it. Attending church services like this and bored out of their minds because they don't understand. They are listening to the radio, but not telling anybody. Watching YouTube videos, but not really responding. They're eager, but private and frustrated and fearful. I mean, if just for a moment you think, just for a moment, you think how hard it is for you to live in a world like this there is today and you have hope. Can you think how hard it is for someone to live in the world today with no hope? 
that this is it. And yet they're battling because there is an internal witness that God has given to every human, like we read in the scriptures today, that he knows them, he's with them, he created them, they're just resistant. And maybe that's you, you're here. And you're restless. And you're empty. And you're seeking, but then you're going back to other familiar things. Stuck. Wondering about God discouraged by some Christian along the way or listening to how Christians are carried. You know, sometimes it's not even Christians that disillusion. It's this world system saying that Christians are something that they really aren't <laughs> and just lying about us. You know, lying, lying is a familiar tool of the devil. Did you know that? He's just a liar, Jesus said, and the father of lies. And so you got to get through all these different barriers to get to the root of serving someone. And I'm just telling you, it's worth it. It's worth it to be in the Bible every day, to pray every day, to study, to show yourself approved, to step into someone's life, to serve them, to love them, to care for them. You know how we used our holy imagination about the eunuch earlier, but it wasn't just exclusive to him. I want you to consider in your own mind the background of the people that are surrounding your life. I want you to consider, why is that guy so angry? You know, I know you have to take the full brunt of the anger and that's where it is right now, but why? Begin to pray for them by name. The person that's causing you all that grief and all that difficulty that God might give you insight so that when the door opens or the call comes, you can step into their life with a sound, reasoned answer that will preach Jesus. I don't want you to think in preaching Jesus is you got to carry a, a portable pulpit with you everywhere, and then you go, okay, this is my opportunity, and you set the pulpit up, and you stand like Pastor Ed, Jesus loves you. You know, like, like so silly. It, you're, not, you're not like a, you don't need to be a pastor to live out your relationship with Jesus. And then the familiar attitude is, well, Ed, I don't know what to say. Don't worry about it. Just be yourself. And you can share with someone Anything that you have learned. Anything that you've learned. You could share things about Philip. Man, I read about this guy in the Bible. He was like, you so great. I, I want to be like Philip. And their guy, well, I don't know anything about Philip. Well, let me, let's read about him. And you take out your Bible and you read it with somebody. This is a fascinating story. I mean, the guy was used from boom, boom. It all, and you know, it all started with Philip's willingness to serve in an uncomfortable place with that difficulty among the widows. Remember, that's where it started. He stepped in and helped solve the problem, ministering to these widows that were both hurting and also mad at the same time, feeling neglected. And it was from there, when the scattering came, he was sent to that place that nobody else wanted to go to. A place that was looked down upon by the Jewish people, but not Philip. He went to Samaria and a revival broke out. And then it was in the midst of revival that now he went to the middle of nowhere, not knowing anything of what was going to happen. And when he got there, immediate obedience, he connected with this eunuch that God already set up at the same time. And now he's saved. And it's interesting because history tells us that the Ethiopian took the gospel back to the African continent. And if you notice back in Acts 8... It says that he ended up preaching in all the cities until he came to Caesarea. 
Now, you guys that read ahead, you know in Acts chapter 9, in verse 38, a woman dies in the city of Joppa. And there are disciples there in Acts 9 calling for Peter to come and help them in Joppa. And many people believe that Philip planted or helped plant the church by preaching the gospel in Joppa on his way to Caesarea, where he finally settles, where it says right here in the Bible. And those of you that go on a tour with us to Israel, you will see with your own eyes just how close Joppa is to Caesarea by the sea. It's extremely close, and it would make a lot of sense that that would be the place that he would come through as he heads through and being used by God from Azotus. And by the way, before we get to the final points, can we just pause for a second and consider how Philip's feeling right now? You know, people that say Christianity's boring, you have never tapped into the leading of the Holy Spirit if you say that. Because here's a guy that goes, yeah, I want to I wanna serve widows. Okay, go for it. He jumps in and serves widows, and then boom, he's gone to Samaria. And then boom, he's gone to the desert. And then boom, he's taken up like Elijah. I mean, that's really what it says. He was found in Azotus because he, the Spirit of God caught him up and took him away miraculously. Can you imagine? It's like, what is happening in my life? And that's the life of the Spirit of God. You just don't know. You can't explain it. Someone once said, it might have been A.W. Tozer, that if you can explain what God is doing, it's not, not, if you can explain what's happening, it's probably not God that's doing it. And so the excitement of following the Lord is so amazing. I want to end before our time in communion with a few things that you can jot down as it relates to sharing the gospel. The future of our church is evangelism because you know the past of our church is evangelism. The future of your participation in this church is to use what you have to reach the lost. If you walk in downstairs through the doors, you will find very, very prominent on the wall when you walk in what we've adopted of many things that we've adopted but it is on the wall so you to see every time that we will do anything short of sin to reach the lost it makes for a messy church it makes for a challenging church it means a lot of our resources go to discipleship and building up but it is the lens that we use when we're asking questions how will we reach the lost how will we reach the lost you are not in a church that uses the lens, how will we make believers happy? How will we make them comfortable? How can we keep them and keep them all happy? That's not the lens of this church. That might disappoint you. That might frustrate you. You might even be mad at us. It's like, no, we're going after the lost. You're already saved. Did you know that? You're already saved. So my responsibility is to equip you for the work of the ministry because one life, your one life will soon be passed and only what's done for Christ will last. And so you're not in a church that will always coddle and cater to all the needs and wants that we have. We must learn to die to ourselves and follow Christ. That is God's call. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you need to die to yourself. You need to deny yourself. And it's my responsibility to remind me and you of that continually. Once you die to yourself, you're going to become more alive than you've ever felt in your life because your heart will be for others. You will serve others. You will think of others. It will be. And the future of our church is the past of our church because it's the calling of our church, evangelism. Yes, we disciple. And yes, we send. But oh, what will happen in Aurora and Denver and Colorado and the United States and the world for that matter 
if lives are changed through salvation. Isn't that what happened to you? Didn't your life get turned upside down? Didn't your family, well, really not upside down, right side up. God put things in order, saved your marriage, saved your kids. It went not only went up, you know, not only went in your home, but it went to everyone you're raising, your kids. Also, some of you, like I did, got to lead my parents to the Lord. It's a powerful thing of what God is doing among us. And it's important that you realize that. So as we head out, I want to give you a few things. You can jot them down as it relates to how you and I can lead others to Jesus. Things to remember, things to pray over. Number one, God saves people. We don't. Don't forget that. Some plant, some water, God gives the increase. God prepares a person's heart. God sets things up. All we need to do is be faithful. Be faithful. Number two, God uses people with a burden for the lost. So start praying for a burden for the lost. And the best way to do that, the best way to create a burden for the lost is for the people that are closest to you, pray for them by name. Bring their name to the throne. Don't just say, and although you can't, God will understand, but don't just say, God, I pray for the whole world to get saved. Okay, start there, but end up praying for a name and a person, a mom, a dad, a son, a daughter, a brother, a sister. They're people, and it starts to personalize them, and your heart breaks for them. If you're going to be effective, pray selflessly. Be willing. Number three, God uses people that we learn in Philip that are open and obedient to the Spirit. And we see that in Philip's life as he obeys him one step at a time. Number four, God uses people who preach the true gospel. Don't water it down. Don't change it. They preach Jesus. There's no other message. There's not two messages, three messages, five messages. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, singularly singularly. Sometimes the church will be accused of, you know, you're so intolerant and exclusionary of, no, no, we're not. That's not intolerant to tell you the truth. There's only one way, and it's not your way. It's God's way. You guys with me, church? Yeah, I hear the people online louder than you. Are you here? Are you with me? All right, good, good. Number five, number five, God uses people who follow up. And you go, Ed, what does that mean? Oh, I don't want you just to think that Sharing the gospel is transactional. It's relational. It's always relational. It's not just something to do and have a little mark. I led six people to the Lord. Well, are you a part of their life still? Are you connected with them? Are you discipling them? Are you pouring into them? You bought them a Bible, but now did you get them a devotional? You know, if you called them once, did you call them twice? I mean, with technology today, we can stay contact with all kinds of people all over the world in an instant. And so follow-up is very important. Here at Calvary, we have on either side of the, the stage here, we have boxes filled, these baskets filled with our new believer material. You are welcome to take them if you will use them. Take them and have them ready for the person. Put them in your glove compartment, put them in your desk at work, and have them ready to give away to the people you personally lead to the Lord. If you're listening on the radio right now, you can go to gracefm.com. Everything we have here is available online for free. If you're watching online, you've already come through our website, calvaryco.church at the bottom. On the list there, it says how to know God. Everything we have here is available for you to keep in someone's life, answering their questions, discipling them, 
taking them through the Bible. All you have to do is read the question and do it with them. All you need to do is be available to answer their questions. It's probably what had you connect with them in the first place, and that's how you're going to continue to connect with them. But you've got to stay involved. It's not just some transactional thing so we can chalk it up. No, we're relational. It's always going to be relational, and it always has been. And so I want you to know this. The primary way God reaches people that don't know him is by sending to them people that do know him. Let me say it again. The primary way that God reaches people that don't know him is by sending to them people that do know him. God chooses to reach people through people. And I know sometimes it's discouraging and hard and awkward and all of that, but God is faithful. And when you, when you lead someone to the Lord, it is, there's nothing like it. It's just nothing like it. It is so beautiful and wonderful. When you invite someone to church and you see them, I mean, it is amazing how God will use you. You don't have to become someone else. Just become a surrendered servant. and Follow God. He'll lead you exactly where you need to be to the people he wants in your life to say what he wants you to say. And he gets all the glory for great things he has done. Amen? Amen. So Father, we thank you and praise you today with this heart of thanksgiving. Thank you for Philip showing us so much. May we find our sufficiency in you today. In Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Church. For prayer, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. To listen to this message in its entirety or to join us for our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.